At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? What would you, what would you like to ask a person who has more than 10 specific chips in his body and can do some most amazing moves in modern technology space today? As well as someone who has practiced in white hat hacking and be able to really understand where hacking opportunities and cyberspace and cybersecurity are strong and where they're weak and how he can leverage not only what he has inserted in his own body, but also what he's been doing based on research to make a tremendous difference around cybersecurity nationally, internationally, and so much more. Hey guys, it's Isabella here and World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. And just what I just said a second ago, I'm sure piqued your curiosity, and I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. We're having with me here someone joining me just outside of Austin, Texas, uh, who has a very interesting personal story, which I guys, again, cannot wait for you to hear it firsthand, as well as what he is into today, how he became technical uh, cyber and uh, white hack hacker and evangelist, and so much more. So without further ado, let's bring Leon No. How are you, Leon? I'm sorry, Len No. How are you, Len? Welcome. Very well. very well, Isabella. Thank you very much for the opportunity to come and have this conversation. Absolutely. I'm super thrilled. Uh, we have some mutual friend and colleagues that um, was previously here and I'm finding so many interesting things you guys have been doing, but then also more I zoomed into your story, being curious about innovation technology and of course everything that has to touch and impacts people. I was like, you have the magic trifecta. I've got a, I, I didn't come to security or trying to be on, on the right side of, of history through the normal channels. You know, I, I, I had a, a unique childhood. Uh, I may live in just outside Austin, Texas, but I was born and raised on the west side of Detroit, Michigan. So, you know, very different kind of environment than I'm in now. And, you know, we're gonna have a. I'm I'm curious to see how where you how you're gonna shape this. Where you want to go? <laughs> Fantastic. So for everybody, since we have a very global audience, if you don't mind, people that are not really understanding that how different the landscape is between Texas and Michigan, for example, little on industrial. A Detroit where it was very uh, focused on manufacturing vehicles and very few other branches and industries, uh, and then very much so blue collar neighborhoods that was very rough and difficult for generations because of housing crisis, the, the value and a lot of gangs and a lot of uh, interculturally combined elements that really shaped the city as well as teenagers and youth there. 
So you obviously were shaped by multiple different circumstances. Do you mind just paint a little bit of picture so that everybody can understand how it was for you to grow up in that environment? To be honest, I think that's kind of a an unfair question. You know, how did how was it to me to grow up in that environment? I didn't know anything else but it. So I I guess in a lot of ways, I think it it prepared me in a harsh way for, you know, whatever life was going to throw. You know, I remember, you know, when people in certain areas of the country, you know, would start hearing about metal detectors in schools for, for, to look for weapons. And that was just normal, you know, fighting, you know, it, it, it was a very rough place to grow up, but you know, I, I don't look back on it and look at it like I was in some, you know, terrible thing. It, it, it just, it was what it was. Mm -hmm. Would I like to have, you know, potentially had something different? Maybe. But I think that being in that place with those experiences has helped guide me and shape me into the it's funny to say security professional because that's not how I started. But, you know, one of the things that a lot of people will hear me say, if you've ever seen any of my presentations or seen any of my work is, you know, the industry at large, the big trend and the big talking point is, is we need to think like the bad guys. We, you know, we need to know how they think so we can try and do better to protect against it. I don't have to think like the bad guys. I just have to think, you mm -hmm. know. I walk into a room, the first thing I do is, you know, where are the exits? You know, where are the cameras? You know, and this this could be if we were sitting down to do an interview together in person and it's nothing against you or, or wherever we would be. It's just how I was raised and it's the way that I look at the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while a lot of the security professionals are trying to, you know, look at things, they don't necessarily have the ability to look abstractly at it and go, even though this was made to do one thing, how can I make it do something else? Mm. So I see that more of a difference between reactionary and evolution. I love the distinction and I love how you draw it based on, as you said, environment you've been in, you didn't know any other a difference that anything else existed and then how you draw the best you, what you have. And as a result, also look at things, uh, what, what you can do to shape current environments that you're in. Obviously the transition uh, from many different activities in the past into cyber industry and became one of the top evangelists, uh, white hacker, uh, which actually it's ethical hacking, right? Uh, do you mind explaining what that is and how did you get into that space? And first and foremost, also, how did you start doing this on unique transition where you use your own body to implant different types of um implants? <laughs> yes, uh, in order to bypass certain measures and testings out do you mind share about that journey well i'd say that's actually a multi answer to a question you know the first part would be you know wh what made me decide to change you know that would be very simple and that would be my grandchildren at the time I had been in actively a member of one of the motorcycle clubs in the Detroit area. I 
was doing a lot of things that could have wound me either in a jail, some type of institution or dead. And at the time, you know, I'm ashamed to say it, you know, screwing up my own kids was somehow an acceptable thing in my head at the time. And, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm not proud of it, you know, but at the time, you know, it was just my kids. But then I had a grandchild and it was like, you know, I can't do this. You know, I, if I keep doing this, there's a very serious chance, you know, that this innocent child is going to meet me behind glass or they're going to be, you know, just introduced to my tombstone. And the problem is, is at that point, I, my skill set was, I could get away with being a systems architect or a systems administrator, but my, my actual skills were in basically figuring ways around security controls. Uh, I was actually a system architect for a very large payroll company, and I was not happy with my job. And, you know, through politics reorganizations within the organization it was basically i was relegated even though i had a very high ranking title that should have ha had me doing a lot of things that were keeping me mentally stimulated i was essentially relegated to a corner and all i was doing was clearing you know logs off of boot drives so i i reached out to my current organization cyberarc and asked if they had any openings and my original plan was not to come in as a white hat hacker. I actually came into the company as a standard sales engineer. You know, I'm very technical. You know, I have the ability to speak about very complicated technical things in terms that most people find relatively easy to digest. And, you know, funny story, when I first started working for CyberArk, and I've been there for coming up on 10 years now, it'll be 10 years with CyberArk this July. Uh, Nobody for the first four to six months of my employment even knew that I had a tattoo. You know, it was long sleeve dress shirts. It was, you know, suit and button up ties, you know, because I was expected to fit that at typical, you know, IT mold. And it wasn't until Black Hat, I want to say it was 2017, 2018, where, you know, we had a booth and they were like, it's, it, it's Las Vegas, it's July, it's August. We're not going to make you, you know, wear long sleeves in, in these conditions. You can wear a polo, you know, it's Vegas. It was a, a situation where people on the showroom floor at Black Hat didn't want to talk to the people that looked like your stereotypical sales engineer or, or typical IT guy. They wanted, to, they wanted to talk to the guy with the tattoos and looked like, he might have actually snuck into the show. And it, it wasn't until that point that, you know, a lot of the history of what I had done in the past really started to come out because I, I didn't want that life anymore. You know, I was trying to make changes in my life. I was trying to be, you know, better for my kids, for my grandkids. And, and it was, you know, at the time I looked at it almost like, you know, this these are bad behaviors. I just need to go be, you know, Mr corporate America. And it will, if it wasn't for my, my manager, Mike Marino, you know, and I give him a lot of the, the, the credit for where I am now, you know, he actually saw the opportunity with me as a unique individual 
with my skills, my look, and the fact that this isn't something that I put on as like a mask. This is who I am, whether I'm speaking with you or whether I'm speaking with one of my kids, you know, this is just who I am. So he was the one that actually made me realize that a lot of the things that I were was doing in the past, I could actually still do them, but I could actually do them in a way that actually is beneficial. So it's like all of the, the skills and all of the things that I had done in the past has kind of prepared me to step into this role where we can be honest, I work for CyberArk, we have competitors. Every technological company out there has them. But what makes any of us stand out from the, the next, aside from the technology and the, the people and the ideas that we can bring to the table? You know, I, I'm a thought leader. And to answer the final part of your question, for me, life has always been about puzzles and how do you solve the puzzle? I was actually sitting in just off of one of the canals in Amsterdam in the Netherlands when, and whenever I go to, you know, different countries, one of my things is I like stickers. So I'll, I'll grab stickers from like tattoo shops or, you know, computer shops and I put them on my, my laptops and there was a, a piercer that had stated that there was another parlor, the next town over in Utrecht, that actually had NFC style implants that you could purchase in the shop and actually get them implanted same day. Now, I'd heard about the quote unquote grinder community for a long time. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's the, the basically it's your do it yourself at home body augmentation people. These are the some of the people that kind of push the, the, the crowdsourcing style, you know, innovations within this subculture, you know, they would basically disassemble remotes, coat them in multi-part epoxy and then do personal surgery on themselves in their garages with an exacto knife and, you know, some skin glue. But Prior to hearing about this specific implant, everything was always more for vanity. You had firefly tattoos, which would give you some glowing under the skin because they were utilizing tritium gas, you know, and it just never made sense to me. My, you could get an LED implant put in your hand so you could blink. I was a hacker. The idea of blinking stuff and drawing attention to myself was just kind of counterproductive. So... The, the ability to interface with a, a standardized technology like near-field communication or NFC, which is built into essentially every current mobile device, this was a an opportunity that I saw as an attack path that nobody had looked at. Additionally, with the current legislation in place, things in the United States like HIPAA, the Health and Privacy Act in the European Union, I'm protected from authorities even asking me if even if they can notice the bulges in my hands. As you said earlier, I currently have 10 different microchips. I can interface with RFID. I can interface with near field communication. I have a credit card. I have a magnet in my finger that allows me to feel electromagnetic fields and currents. So in that essence, I actually have an additional sense that was given to me through the birth of technology. So 
I just found a way to take something that somebody else was using for a standard purpose and like typical hackers in the past just found a way to repurpose it for a more nefarious reason. So thank you for giving us that a background and overview. And I'm curious, obviously, that pivotal moment when you were in Netherlands, when you saw that they can offer that, you became um, fascinated about it. And today, obviously, with these 10 different chips, and I'm sure um, there are many more will yet to come, uh, this gives you very unique capabilities. So I'm curious, uh, I'm sure everybody is wondering, uh, if you don't mind sharing, what are some of those capabilities and do you have any side effects that are affecting you this, since it's in underneath of your skin, in your body, right? Well, honestly, no. I, I had a little bit of a health issue during one installation, but if you if you want to find out about that, you'll have to wait for the upcoming book on that one. Um, but uh, no major health adversities at all. And one example of something I can do in terms of functionality. Uh, if you have a cell phone, typically this is um, attack works much better on Android devices than on iPhone devices. Android has had near field communication capabilities for at least the last three or four uh, software releases as a standard. And from a hardware perspective, it's been on most phones for at least the last two to three years minimum. If you have near field communication turned on on your phone and you put your phone in my hand, I can actually compromise your device in multiple ways. I can either redirect the phone to a website that's infected with uh, malicious JavaScript. Uh, if I get it in my hand and I really wanna put on an act, I can actually download and install a reverse connector on your mobile device that would give me the ability to essentially sit in front of your device from my remote attack server and you're infected before I even hand the phone back to you. Wow. So you are pushing an envelope on multiple different things just by you know, obviously um, exposing yourself not only to those chips and technologies and as they call it, transhuman capabilities now and transitioning into something, as you said, to leverage technology, but you're also looking uh, from white hacking perspective, where the vulnerabilities are and what do we need to do to secure and position ourselves better, but being few steps ahead, also leveraging and, and really exploring what's happening in AI space and new technology. So do you mind for everybody watching and listening, uh, a really, uh, draw the connections between all the changes and what's happening right now in cybersecurity space, because I know that everybody's freaking out. Everybody's more worried about unknown. We know that we had a more increase than ever in the ransomware, uh, uh, ransom attacks and ask for uh, additional layers and investments, regardless of the industry. Uh, but we also have just in general how we're tracking activities, habits of regular people. And as a result, the mm -hmm. fear known is the one that is hindering so many people to make the right choices and decisions. Well, I'm going to answer this in two parts. And I'm going to actually take advantage of your listenership as, as a platform for just a moment, because in my opinion, we can talk about large language models. We can talk about artificial insurance, artificial insurance, artificial intelligence. Uh, 
we can talk about, you know, emerging technologies. We can talk about all this, but at the same time, I still think we're missing the point in what I feel personally is the one point that we have just completely overlooked. And that is, there is currently no way to individually validate a unique in human being. Mm. You know, there was an issue and I, I don't remember exactly where I, I'd have to look it up real quick, but it happened within the last week and a half where uh, somebody in a financial institution received uh, a request to join a Zoom call or a Teams call from what he, someone who was acting as the CEO. He joins the video conference. The CEO is there. I want to say the CFO is there. Maybe one of the board members was there. And basically, they said, we need you to transfer X amount of money immediately. And the voices were correct. The, it, there was lifeness to the images. They were deep faked. Everyone on that call, except for the financial institution worker, were all deep faked. So we can talk about, you know, the, we can talk about the deep fake portion of that, you know, the ability to do voice synthesization but what we haven't talked about is how do, what is the solution you know if we look at say world wide web everybody knows what a web browser is everybody at this stage of the game is pretty much aware to the point where if you don't see that little lock in the corner that says you know shows i'm on a secured website don't put your credit card in there Hell, the browsers have even gotten to the point where if you go to a website that is running over straight port 80 HTTP, it says, warning, this site could be dangerous. Why haven't we started talking about how is there, what is the, the way that you can validate right now? We're talking over a Zoom conversation. There's enough video of me out there doing presentations that somebody could deep fake my voice, somebody could deep fake my identity. You know, everybody wants to talk about, you know, the problem, but nobody has asked the question of how do we solve it? Because going after the technology is not going to be the solution. We have multi-factor authentication for, you know, important documents, access. We have no way to even individually validate each other. Retinal scans can be iris scans. They can be bypassed. Facial recognition, you know, the early forms of the Apple, hello, you know, or, or welcome or whatever it is. I'm not an Apple guy, you know, but those could be bypassed just simply by putting a set of glasses and drawing two black dots on where, where the eyes should be because it couldn't read through the lenses. Fingerprints have been off the table since the Chaos Computer Club uh, was able to pull fingerprints off of digital photos of Earth, uh, the German, one of the German ministers. So there is absolutely nothing out there. You know, I've had people say, what about DNA? First of all, pulling a DNA test, every, you know, so having some way to quickly use DNA for an authentication purpose doesn't exist yet. But then we also have the fact that viruses will modify DNA. We also have CRISPR technology that can modify DNA. There is no way or single attribute left to an individual human being that can be used as a way to prove that I am who I am that cannot be by bypassed, counterfeited, or spoofed. Mm. So to your point, 
One of my chips is a, runs on a technology called the Vivo. It's uh, called VivoKey. And this is actually, unlike any of the other microchips I have in my body, this is actually a cryptobionic implant chip that is tied to an app on my cell phone. I can use this for OTP. I can use it as an authenticator to my, my crypto wallet. So my question now is, are we getting to a point where we're going to need to start looking potentially at implant technology or something along these lines to address what you asked as far as your original question. The technology is not going to stop. So how do we address proving individual validation? And at that point, a lot of these other problems no longer are as big as they are. Mm. So fascinating and so many things to look through. And it's amazing to one hand, we've seen advancement of technology that can be used for all those negative things that you listed. And then how much, again, it's so important to look at from white hack uh, aspects of it from positive to making sure that they're more secure and be two steps ahead, be more proactive and finding solution. I'm curious with that in mind, obviously, uh, and we're seeing such a tremendous increase in risks. Uh, what do you what do you foresee happening in the near future? Obviously, besides more technology advancement, how do we position in a more proactive, preventative way and a more secure way? You don't want the answer to that, and neither do your listeners, because the truth is, it's not easy, and it's not it's not going to be what's the word I'm, I'm looking for accommodatable. Every time we add some new thing that makes our day-to-day -day life easier with technology, there is not a single thing there that I can think of in that has ever made it more secure. You want to be more secure? Okay. Let's start out with some of the simple things. You know, how many people have a, a secondary VPN on their mobile device? You know, how many people connect to public Wi-Fi? The truth is we want the security, but we want it with the same convenience yes. as living our lives however we want. And you can't have both, you know? So to the other part of that, what do I see more of in the future? I see more dangerous attacks happening from people that should have no capabilities of performing them. Mm. You know, my latest research, is, you know, is out there right now. It's called Script Kitties Are Dead, Long Live AI Kitties. Because in the past, people like myself, I learned how to do offensive security through practical application and, and making a lot of mistakes over the years. I mean, my first computer, you can look it up. It was a Magnavox Odyssey 2. It was a set-top that you plugged in with RCA cables and it looked more, it was more like a video game system than it would be, be a computer, but that was where I started. So I've been doing this. I've been around through the entire computer revolution, Commodore 64, 128, you know, I-386, I, oh, excuse me. Yeah, I-386, I-486, I-486 DX2 with the floating, with the math coprocessor so you could get a floating decimal point. So, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. The problem we have now is 
information is too easy. And with the advent of large language models, I, I honestly equate a lot of LLMs, and I'm not going to name any of them out because I think they're all in the same boat, you know, in terms of, you know, who the, the companies that are running them are. Yes. LLMs at this point, in my opinion, are nothing more than 15-year-old children that know all of the bad words, know everything that they shouldn't do. And the only reason they're not is because mommy and daddy told them, don't, don't do this because it's bad. Mm-hmm. The, and I, if you don't believe me, look around for some prompt hacks. I, I was able to get one of these LLMs to actually give me the instructions and the source code to create malware that integrates with Discord. And I question, I I, I answered uh, an interview question the other day and I, I'll propose this to, to you and your listeners. And I would I actually would like to hear your response. Is the future cybersecurity people, whether it's gonna be on the offensive side or the defensive side, are they going to need to be technical or are they going to need to be literary? Mm-hmm. That is very thought-provoking because I believe uh, it's a combination of both personally because obviously we're, we're seeing things uh, more and more innovative and experiential as well as leveraging uh, obviously technology for the speed of it. Uh, to really get further along than we've ever been before, right? And as a result, it's always that appetite. How can we quickly get in control? And I love what you said earlier, as being a subject matter expert in change. And change is one of the hardest things people ever wanted to do. So of course, understandably, they want a convenience. They want a benefit of the change, but yet they don't want to change their own habits. We're seeing that from individual contributions all the way to organizations, right? And if you, how do you create a resilience? how you do create sustainability and how ultimately you create this high security posture with organizations unless you're willing to make a necessary change and steps to transform your organization or just simply individually your mindset right absolutely Uh, think about it this way i did some research a little while ago and if you'd like i'd be happy to send you some of it you know and you can make it available as a reference please Um, but it, it, was, it was a keynote that I did at one point and it said, you know, resistance is futile. We're already Borg, you know, and if you look at it, just the, the amount of systems, you know, I'm talking, you know, mission critical systems, healthcare, emergency services. How many of these have actually been integrated into a technological way that we could no longer actually even perform them at a manual capacity anymore? I'm scared, honestly, from first responders that are really providing safety for us and then for safety of of general public, right? When that is easily compromised, then what next? And then when you look at the flights, how we get to these different parts of the world and then what's happening in aviation and just all the systems, right? How how things can be quickly taking control over it which obviously very obvious, always everyone is looking at financial institutions because that's the quote unquote, the biggest reward. And and it's really interesting to see again, um, the lack of measures or not as taking things seriously or not as taking proactively. So I'm curious, do you have any good examples or anybody that is doing some proactive ways of, of facing what's coming, positioning, being proactive, and at the same time coming with some really good solutions. 
As crazy as this sounds, I actually am a very, very big follower of a genetic scientist named Joe Zaner. Mm -hmm. uh, they run a company called the Odin, T-H-E-O-D-I-N, and they are what I would consider to be the renegade bioscientist. As I am in the transhuman space, they are in the actual bio biomedical space. Mm -hmm. uh, there was I actually came across this person through a documentary on Netflix called Unnatural Selection, where they were showing through the use of CRISPR, there are people curing some forms of genetic blindness. Wow. But the treatments are not approved by the FDA and therefore only reserved for people that can actually afford them. Joe actually injected themselves on stage with CRISPR during an actual presentation. So people like Joe, I think, are people to watch. People that are going against what the, the stereotypical path is. You know, I, I look at COVID, and I know that's a sketchy subject for everyone. Yes. But if you look at the way that the information was flowing, mm -hmm. It was, you know, your your big pharmaceutical companies. Why wasn't there more discussion at university levels, individual scientists? Why were these opinions not even taken into consideration? So I I, I say people like Joe Zayner. Um, I have another gentleman that I I follow quite a bit. Uh, uh, give me a second here. I just had his. Hang on, I gotta grab my phone. Uh, this is a, another gentleman that I've, I've spent quite a bit of time with, but his philosophies around the concepts of self-sovereign identity are just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, where, where did you go? Where did you go? I am so sorry. Uh, no, no, that's okay. You meet a lot of people and you're working with a lot. It's so great to hear some really awesome examples and who is proactively uh, not only making us to pause and think, but also show us what's possible and how this can turn around for future possible pandemics or future mass uh, impact events that uh, we need to really be able to question choices, decisions, but also uh, best ways how to protect ourselves. And then also um, working with executives and leaders, how do we build the muscle that we don't have, which is obviously uh, being more proactive on some of those security threats or just in general, what's going on in technology space to um, minimize vulnerabilities and be more effective. And as I'll, I'll have to get that back to you or it'll come to me here in a minute. <laughs> sure, no problem. Uh, so I, I, I love I love where you're going with that. So please, please continue. Yeah, different ideas around how to address the individual validation issue we were talking about, things like self-sovereign identity. Uh, you know, there is so much amazing science going on right now. Uh, some of the, I was actually reading up on some amazing work coming out of MIT where they're actually able to grow human skin over an actual robotic hand that if you cut it it will bleed and it will heal you know we we're talking about i mean there was the big push and media buzz a couple of weeks ago about elon and space uh neuralink doing their first human trial uh i think that is an amazing thing but at the same time 
I think that there are also other amazing companies out there that deserve just as much recognition. You know, Elon, I think, gets a lot of recognition for Neuralink, but uh, I believe it was uh, Microsoft and possibly Jeff Bezos. Don't quote me on those, I, I'm, but I'm just going to look it up here real quick. Actually, we're getting in with another company based out of Australia called Synchron. And these guys are ones that I think we should really be watching because to one of the points that I've seen that you spend a lot of time on is, you know, how things affect the individual person. Yes. Unlike a lot of these BCIs that we've seen from like BlackRock, Neuro, Neuralink, they're all coming in from the outside going in, which is a very invasive surgery. Synchron is actually using more of a stent methodology. So they're coming in and going up almost like a heart catheter style and then releasing the BCI inside of the blood vessels. So this, this, the future is now. And I think that's one of the main points, you know, I'm living proof of that. You know, most people I'm their first cyborg, but there are tens of thousands of people out there with these same types of characteristics and capabilities that I have. I'm mm -hmm. just the first one that decided to use them for something instead of, oh, uh, let me put my Tesla key on my chips so that way I don't ever have to worry about forgetting my car, you know, my car keys or my fob. I just figured out I can steal your Tesla car key and then I can steal your car. That's mm -hmm. the difference back to our original statement of the difference in how I look at the world and how most people look at the world. Very interesting and very profound because as 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 we're seeing uh, negative side of the hacking, right? How this, what implication this can have. And I remember when one of the local universities was literally shut down here for months and not only there was a huge fee had to be purchased, but just a, uh, the university never really recovered, not only just financially, but from trust, from students, as well as reputation and brand. And it was a private institution. And at the same time, what the cause, the havoc for six or nine months when emails couldn't even work, let alone grading or progression of glasses. And when you really felt like that all of your information is also being jeopardized as a student, not only from financial, social security and ID, all the delicate stuff, right? It's like how much of that uh, really is being uh, re reassessed or, 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 or being um, resuscitated basically in a way that um, now we have a chance to continue on and with, with the same level of posture uh, from user standpoint, right? So when we have that, then we also remember just not long ago, what happened last year when um, GM was down in Las Vegas and how that cyber security risks uh, really shut down them for weeks and negotiations around that. But what mostly was terrifying, as you mentioned, is when we're dealing with, let's say, hospitals and some really life-threatening situations when life and death is on the line and, and when one wrong key or around medication or administrating things can truly mean life and death for patients, um, that changes everything. Um, so with that in mind, what can what would you suggest 
for all those CFOs and CEOs watching, listening, contemplating, where, what would you recommend for them where they should be focusing to really protect their enterprises, their people, as well as their customers? I have to believe that at this point in the game, you've heard the, the, the industry term thrown out identity security. Yes. Depending on who you ask, in my opinion, you, you can get 45,000 different definitions of what is identity security. Mm -hmm. To me, I think they're, they all kind of say the same basic thing, but they're, for, they're failing at the first word, identity. What do they need to focus on? The individual, the person. Yes. Stop seeing the person as a user whose only interaction with your company is when they're logging into their corporately approved devices. Mm. How many people have Outlook on their phone? How many people have some type of business app on a tablet, a mobile device? So you as your your CFO, your CISO, you're, you're, we're locking down all of our devices, but we're not in a situation where all of our data re resides on corporate assets anymore. So we have to start taking into the con into, into consideration the individual and their patterns as well. I'm not going to say anything positive or negative about TikTok. All I'm going to say is there have been things that have been rumored about it. I'm not going to say it is, or I'm not going to say it isn't. There are how many different apps, especially on the Android marketplace, that have wound up being spyware, have been malware, have been bloatware. No. We are no longer can putting the walls around our all of our assets because we're now sending our assets out on devices that we don't own anymore. So to your point, I'm not saying I could or couldn't, there are quite a few other factors involved, but I told you when we first started this conversation that if you have NFC turned on and you know, I can put that phone in my hand, I can compromise that phone. There is the chance that I can ride those tunnels on that app from that app directly back into your enterprise. Mm. So it's the individual we need to focus on. It's the privilege, you know, and to be honest, I, I, I understand the migration to the cloud. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. And to me, the biggest problem is there is no direct translation from NTFS permissions that we're used to in Windows your 777 style permissions from Linux and Unix, you, you're dealing with IAM roles. There's no correlation. So my thing to everyone else is focus on the individuals. And if you can actually provide a true least privileged environment, the rest of it takes care of itself. And the other thing I would say is the old days of keeping the bad guys out doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't. The, oh, we have a DMZ. 
okay, how does that work with partners, vendors, support staff, uh, professional services? We have anybody and everybody in our in our tier two anymore. Don't make it easy. Assume breach and act accordingly. And the last thing I will say, and this is the, the other use case that I've saved to the end for you, in terms of my microchips, we've talked about multi-factor. We've talked about layering security. I'm going to give you one last story to go after your physical security. Mm. We've been skimming cards for over a decade now. The technology's been out there, you know, with Proxmarks and now with tools like the Flipper Zero, if you haven't heard of those, go look at that. That's one of the most fun little hacking toys there is. But I can skim your badge. And if you're in a position where within your, your organization, it's a simple scan the badge, door unlocks. The issue comes in when it, dealing with the authorities when we start talking about intent. You have to be able to prove my intention was malicious in order to prosecute me. So wow. let me give you a, let me walk you through the whole situation. Let's say we're talking at a conference. I skim your badge. I don't have to go after your, your organization right away. I can then take that information, write that down to one of my implants. And I can currently, I have the ability to interface with almost 200 different physical access protocols from HID, Pyramid, Prox, Indala, you name it. So I put your information on my implant. All I have to do is just walk up to the door. And even if you have cameras, what are they going to see? They're going to see my hand walk up, reach up. I'm going to grab the door. It's going to open. Mm. If you catch me in your, let's say you catch me in your server room. What, what's going to happen? You're going to call your, your operational security people. They're going to grab me. They're going to throw me in an office. They're going to start questioning me. They're going to call the authorities. The authorities are going to show up. They're going to, what were you doing in there? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about getting a job here and I was just coming in to ask if they had any opportunities. And, you know, I saw this door over here with all these computers in there. And I've seen commercials with those big computers all, all put up, stacked on top of each other. The door... I, I didn't know it was off limits. Empty your pockets. No problem. Here's my wallet. Don't even have a cell phone on me. Just pat me down. I don't have any tools that would be used to try and break into that. Remember when I told you we had HIPAA and health and privacy laws? Yes. Even if they were able to see that implant right there on the top of my hand, Wow. They're not, they are not even legally allowed to ask me. So the best thing that they can do is trespass me. But I'm going to walk out of that building. And then the question is, what did I do? What did I do to one of your other computers with some other piece of technology that's embedded in my body? So multi-factor is not just for data. It needs to be for physical access as well. To that point, when I was working for that payroll company, it was a badge and a pin, something you have, something you know. But here's the truth. People like me exist. 
I'm not the only one that I know of that is using implanted technology for offensive purposes. I will say, thankfully, the other individuals that I do know work on professional red teaming and pen testing companies. So they are also working to try and advance security. But I'm the only one that's actually outed himself and made himself known. Mm. That is scary. As you said, how many of those devices and implants are being already sold? Who are these people around the world that already have their capabilities and they're not, as you said, known, registered, and at the same time um, doing this? That depends. Because honestly, Germany has an implant that you can use for payment purchases purposes and Sweden actually has the ability that you can actually put your governmental ID yes. into an implant. So the world is using these. And I I will say I don't think that anyone should be ever forced to get one. You know, and the weird thing is is if you look at the legislation around human implanting and microchipping, there is no actual legislation at a federal level within the United States. And additionally, there's no specific law against it in Europe. But if you look in the there, but however, there are specific laws and leave it to the United States to be the ones to do this, that actually are on the books that state as an employer, you cannot mandate that your employees be microchipped. So in order for that to happen, you know, there was some company here in the States that was like, yep, we want you to do this. But no, this should be nothing that should ever be forced. I, I chose these and I love every single one of them. But it was my choice and that's the way it should always be. Yes, and what I was trying to say is how many of those similar to you individuals did uh, many other chips but also with a different intent that we don't know of and how many of them are around the world uh, creating insane high vulnerabilities. And I love your spectrum of understanding that we don't only have to do environments we work in and, and applications and whatever that is, but also importance of individuals with background check. What are we doing? What are we can do? Because sometimes you can have individuals that are right there in the midst of all of it and have access to most vulnerable, vulnerable data and information. And threat is, for is, wrong is, reasons. Yes, insider threat is very, very real. And, and that is the one that is, I feel like, not as having involved with the higher measures given where we're at right today. And that is very lacking and lagging. We always think it's a third world country it's somewhere up there in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and reality is the closest to home is the, that's where the most blind spot we have and most vulnerabilities. Don't you agree with that? Absolutely agree. Yeah. I mean, I know for a fact that some of the our government is using software that has been sunset for years. Wow. So, so Len, obviously, you've been through so much on your personal professional journey and, and this passion for cybersecurity and doing greater good and pushing envelope, being the on forefront, being that early adopter, innovator, and frankly, disruptor. Do you mind just sharing what's the next in your bucket list? What's coming? What can we look forward to it? And also... I'm curious, obviously, you're on the Legacy Leader Show with everything you've been through from um, 
that shaped you who you became today and to be on the side of obviously uh, leveraging, utilizing not only your knowledge, your intellect, but also the skills, very unique skills that you have for greater good. Uh, what would you like your legacy to be? What would you like to be known for? Uh, well, that was actually two questions. So the, the answer to the first one is I am in the process of working with dangerousthings.com who is my main implant uh, manufacturer and distri distributor. And I am working on implanting a single board computer in my leg, like a Raspberry Pi Zero W. Wow. Wow. Yeah. How big that is? <laughs> Maybe they'll think um, it is. Uh, I think I might actually have one right here. It is... Never cease to surprise us, doesn't he? Wow, I'm curious, guys. I'm sure you guys might be curious as well. Yep, here it is. Wow, so you're going to do that in your leg, and as a result, you're going to now have a capability to run as the I will have a full version of Kali Linux, which is an offensive distribution that I can basically run unattended Bluetooth attacks. I can set up auto pones where it'll go out and try and scan for anything that it finds. It'll identify the ports and I can interface to this through my cell phone. So I could actually be up in front of an auditorium giving a presentation and actively be war driving and mapping everybody's uh, phone hardware addresses, their Bluetooth hardware addresses while I'm giving a presentation. Oh my goodness. So you basically can hack whole audience, leverage their information and walk away while everything is happening on yes. service with no identification and no suspicion whatsoever. None. That is jaw-dropping, jaw I'm sorry, it is. And what? the second question is, what do I want my legacy to be after I'm gone? I would like to be remembered uh, as one of the first publicly known of a new subspecies of human being. You know, transhumanism has actually been around since originally, in I believe it was 19, 1956. And it was a... a term that was coined by a British uh, earth science, uh, natural scientist named Julian Huxley in his essay, New Bottles for New Wine. And then back in the, I want to say it was the late mid sixties, you had a gentleman whose name I honestly, I can't pronounce his real name, but he eventually went by the name of FM 2030. And he mm -hmm. is actually one of the modern, he was the one of the fathers of cryogenetics. And these are the people who, you know, have kind of advanced humanity in ways that have given a more specific definition of the relationship between humanity and technology. And I guess... I, if I had to choose, I would love to be remembered as somebody that was on that road. Wow. You're I don't, already, you're I don't think living I, that right now. You already, already have living your legacy, leading with your legacy and leaving your legacy 
uh, right now in a ways that is shaping and pushing the envelope further than ever before. Uh, and that is very uh, amazing, again, uh, conscious decision because it's so experiential and so fast forward thinking that I'm sure you will uncover so much more in the process. I, 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 I guess I would close with this thought here. Time has a very unique way of, of a, putting things into perspective because, you know, what we're talking about today, I'm, I'm bleeding edge, I'm radical, I'm on the fringe, you know, but what is going to, what are people going to, you know, 50, 75 years, especially as we see the progress and the, the exponential growth of technology and how quickly it's happening, what are they going to look back and see me as? Mm -hmm. And you also have something coming up. You're writing the book, right? I do. Uh, we're still working on a title, but uh, yes, I'm in, currently in the process of putting out a, I don't, it's not a memoir. It, it's basically the explanation and the story are kind of what you were asking in terms of, you know, how did I get from, you know, a kid on the, the, the west side of Detroit to thinking that it was okay to, and a good idea to start cutting myself open with no anesthetic and implanting microchips in my body. But uh, I'm working with Wiley Press and that is slated to be out here within the next couple of months. As soon as I can get some title or some subtitle information, I will definitely get that over to you. But uh, additionally, uh, I've been working with our, my own podcast with Justin Hutchins, the Cybercognition. So I just joined up with him a couple of episodes ago. So we are we're going to try and push the envelope as far as we can. And I love that. So it's going to be many ways for our audience can continue to pay attention, see what you're up to. Uh, again, from that podcast, which will be out in the links, as well as upcoming book, and we'll bring you back because this is one of the most fascinating conversations that encompasses. And I love how you brought it as human side and human factor and technology and creating this very unusual blend and definitely pushing all of us to rethink what we think we know, what we think the future is holding, and then how we can position on individual and professional level to be able to partake uh, in a meaningful way. Absolutely. It was absolute pleasure. And any closing remarks you want anybody else to learn and know or just um, simply Check out my YouTube channel, uh, hacker underscore 213, uh, x hacker underscore 213, and Len Noah on LinkedIn. Phenomenal. Thank you so much. And we look forward Absolutely. to having you back on Legacy Leader Show. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.